Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. We are going to discuss today um, the birth control pill um, and halachically how we talk about contraception, specifically the pill because that's what comes up in this episode. But as Ray Pernick and I were discussing earlier, the other things will, I'm sure, come up by way of contraception and what we use and why we use it and if it's permissible um, and the rest of it. So, yes, Naama was married, is married, um, and is pregnant. And one of the moments, hi, Taylor, one of the moments that is particularly, like, awkward, poignant, all of those things, um, is when Amir kind of realizes that she's pregnant and he kind of has this awkward silence of like, I'm not, but I've been married for as long as you have. And so there is clearly some kind of tone. It must be the Thai food. Yes, with the Thai food. Yeah. It must be the Thai food that gets you pregnant, you know. So. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I didn't make that connect. You think that's Thai food? Could be. That's very interesting. My congregants agree with you. So I, that's very interesting. Um, and your congregants agree with you, but they have to. Uh, the, the, the general idea of just like pregnancy and procreation and all of those things is very clear in this episode and will continue um, for a few more episodes. So we want to talk about the pill. And I will let Rabbi Pernick at least initially... Um, discuss what you talked about with his class yeah. and then sure. we can jump in. And if there's anything you want me to clarify, I'm happy to. Great. Um, so contraceptives generally in, in Jewish law are sort of complicated um, and I think are also misunderstood. Um, I think, you know, on, on both, in both directions, I think because of sort of the impact of the positions of the Catholic church, I mean, especially in like New Orleans, um, but like Catholic church and, and sort of doctrine there, um, there's assumptions that like religious Jews have similar limits around contraceptives, which is not accurate. Um, and also at the same time, you know, you'll see liberal Jewish organizations talking about like, you know, birth control is, a, you, know, Jew, you know, Judaism says birth control is a right and uh, so forth, which is like also not true. Um, so, right, it's like like everything. It's more not nuanced and complicated. Um, and because of the way Jewish law works, like so much is kind of case by case and um, case by case, both by people and by methods of contraceptives. Um, the Talmud talks about uh, this, you know, the story of Rabbi Chia, whose wife had significant pain in childbirth when she gave birth to two to twin sons, and, and how she sort of disguised herself herself to dress up um, so that her husband wouldn't recognize her. And she said to him, you know, is a woman obligated in the midst of Puravu, be fruitful and multiply? And he said to her, no. And then she drank some kind of a sterilizing potion. Um, to do something to end. So presumably she had gotten pregnant again, didn't want to, to, to carry on with the pregnancy and sort of, what? I don't know that it's sterilizing. It just said infertility, right? So it just isn't allowing her to get pregnant once she drank it. But sterilizing would mean oh, that I she- I thought it said sterilizing. 
okay. I thought it said, said no, sterilizing potion. Says, oh, one says infertility potion. The Tosefta says it's sterilizing potion. Right. They're just really different. Like in the in the world, they of are different. Yeah, very... they are different. It's true. Um, it's I guess it's not so clear which one we're actually talking about. Um, either way, though, um, you know that Talmudic story, right? Because she is not obligated in the mitzvah of pruervu, especially because she already had you know a couple of kids. Um, there's an understanding that like she could say, I don't want to have any more kids and she's okay. It, it creates problems for her husband who might still be obligated, um, but not necessarily for her. Um, ultimately, when we get into Jewish law and different methods, you know, there's certain issues that are sort of bigger issues. So like, for example, um, what we call zera levatala or spilling seed for, right, for men, that's kind of a bigger, that's a bigger problem. And that's why things like condoms are more problematic versus methods in which the, you know, the man's seed is entering the woman's body, but it's not fertilizing any, um, any eggs. That's sort of halakhically easier. Um, so generally like the pill, for example, is one of the, probably the, the simplest from, from a Jewish law perspective, um, you know, acceptable use, you know, contraceptive for someone who doesn't want to have children or who, you know, different reasons, not, not to say that's like a blanket, it's okay, but if there's reasons why, um, you know, a woman doesn't want to or can't, you know, she, she's sick, she's fragile, she's, what, you know, whatever the case is, um, yeah, that's usually the easiest fix. But it's sort of with each different method of birth control um, has sort of its own complications to deal. Now I should just note that like, Kodaya, who's taking the pill because she's just having premarital sex, like the, the rabbis are not cool with that. Um, but other cases, again, it's like a form of birth control that they're more comfortable with, that halakha is more comfortable with, generally speaking. So um, if you, we already mentioned this podcast, uh, not this podcast, the one I'm about to mention, in other classes. But if you've not yet listened to the podcast, The Joy of Text, uh, which is a podcast with Rabbi Dov Linzer and Dr. Batsheva Marcus. And they talk about different elements of sexuality, but also just Jewish concepts like uh, feminism and ways in which married couples need to talk about certain kinds of uh, relational pieces that maybe they've never heard of before, or they've definitely never heard of from like a medical professional and a modern Orthodox rabbi. So one of the things that Rabbi Linzer talks about in uh, an episode on birth control is that the, as Rabbi Pernick just mentioned, modern Orthodox rabbis, really no rabbis, I don't think, are condoning have using birth control or any kind of contraceptive for non-married or non-committed relationship partners. They're not saying, sure, just be on the pill so that you can have all kinds of partners and all kinds of sex anytime you want. And Rob Linzer actually goes as far as to say that in the case of, um, of safety, if you are someone who is having sex, again, he like mentions it 7,000 times that he does not condone this, but if you are having sex outside of a committed relationship, that he actually suggests that you do use a condom, even though halachically, halachically it is not the method of contraception that we 
think of as the most uh, correct, I don't know another word to use there, uh, that it is the safest in terms of STIs and all those kinds of things that condoms have a higher rate of protection from. So I just want to say that about condoms because I think people, especially in modern day, wonder like, what do we do with the science that we know about that certain kind of contraception? Um, and interestingly, the reason that I thought this was an interesting part of the episode, you would think that when she goes to the pharmacy to just get a type of birth control for the first time that she's having a sexual partner, that she wouldn't necessarily go all the way towards birth control, which assumes kind of a lengthy commitment to a sexual relationship. Um, and yet, I think part of her, this is just my drosh, this doesn't come up in the episode, but part of her kind of from background knows that condoms are not okay and birth control is okay. So even though she's practicing an act that also wouldn't be seen as okay, she's choosing the type of contraception that, that might be seen as a better, as a better route um, than another. Does anybody have any questions? Yeah. <laughs> questions or comments or, yeah, things that you've, uh, yeah, yeah Barbara. Oh. oh, is there a couple? No, I just called on Debbie when you called on Barbara, so. Let's go with Barbara and then Debbie. Okay. Oh, you're muted though, Barbara. Oh, no. Unmute. Because I changed, hold on, sorry, uh, that's what I had. Go ahead, now you can. <laughs> so, one of the things that I do is I sit on an institutional review board. And what institutional review boards do is for people that conduct medical clinical research. The institutional re re review board looks at all the documents and the consents that people have to sign because we are trying to protect people who enter into trials. And one of the things that has now come up is that, you know, a lot of the things I look at are for cancer and nobody knows, just like COVID, nobody knows the effect of those drugs on pregnant women. And so some of the consents, they have even separate consents for the pregnant partner, and they go into very detailed descriptions of what kind of um that's why I just lost the word. Um, contraception that you're I supposed to use. To going, so I didn't want to feed you an incorrect word. <laughs> no, but so that they never, you know, so that you or your partner doesn't ever get pregnant while you're in the trial. And then, God forbid, one of you, you know, the, the woman does get pregnant. Yeah. Then there's all sorts of other consents about talking to her doctor and following the baby and everything. So it's quite involved. And we're, we're talking about this and I'm thinking, but the only real way is to use all those different things. And <laughs> Interesting. I've never even heard of that kind of like, uh, not study. What's the word I'm looking for? Like that, that kind of intention put into that work. I've never heard of that. Really? Yeah. And, and there are sometimes, I mean, there are, there's the consent that the person has to sign, but sometimes they have a separate pregnant partner wow. consent. Hmm. And um, I mean, it's very interesting. And it's, it's like, so shifted my mind to like, when you're going, well, you know, 
she always is okay with birth control pills, but you know, the condoms aren't, you know, condoms aren't okay. <laughs> and mm-hmm. in these consents, they'll say like, you know, she, you, in essence, they're saying use birth control of some sort and use a condom and because right. they want to make sure that nobody gets pregnant. Right, right. The multiple, multiple layers of protection. Right. right. And it's all for the benefit of humanity. I mean, the idea is that we know you wouldn't want someone to get sick sure. because you, they took a particular drug. Yeah. Or that it affected yeah. generations. Sorry, that's it. That's no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. Debbie, go ahead. Um, so a couple of things. I think we remember earlier on uh, for Yifat's wedding, we talked about how a lot of women will take birth control um, to, to regulate their period so they, they don't have their period um, on their wedding. My, my, my Chabad family in Australia have told me that um, it is okay for them to take birth control um, if they are not um, either physically or mentally prepared to have a child. And so I, I kind of like that they say that because they're saying, don't have a child if you're not ready. And so they're, they seem to support that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it, it is like wonderful news for the Jews, right? That's <laughs> a great thing um, that if someone isn't prepared to have kids yet, and the and they go as far as to say that, remember that in from communities, it is also possible that you've never even like high-fived your husband, right? Let alone slept with. So to be on, those two things are obviously the same, to be on the pill, before your wedding also allows you, especially if you're on a pill that um, that allows you to skip a period for three months or five months or whatever, so that you're not even Nida for that amount of time. You literally have every day of those months to be with your husband, that you're also getting to know each other in the biblical sense, but also in a, in a sexual way that the pill is very useful for because any other type of contraception there is first of all you can be nita right because you use a condom and you throw it away like it doesn't it doesn't stay as something in you that that is going to prevent you from having a period so you will be nita um but any kind of contraception is going to uh yes, maybe allow you to feel as though you won't get pregnant, but won't necessarily give you that time with your partner to get to know one another intimately, which is why that's also a rule um, in, in from communities and in all, it should be in all communities. Yeah. I was very excited to share that. But I don't actually, I don't know that that, that language is necessarily as widely communicated about like mentally prepared for. Your Rosh Yeshiva is the one I heard it from, so. Yeah. Okay. That also doesn't mean it's necessarily widely. No, totally. Uh, But I do think that it is something in terms of Kala classes that they talk to the women about in like with Nita, right? Because if you don't, if you don't yet know, not talking about Nita on your actual wedding, but just in general, if you don't yet know how to like be intimate with your partner, then yeah. having a little bit of extra time to figure yeah. that out is better than not. Yeah. So I don't know that it's like written in the Shulchan Aruch anywhere, but I, I know that it's being taught. Yeah, that. no, I mean, and Rav Moshe Feinstein does talk about in like one of the Chuvotim about birth control, you know, he talks about like, yeah, it's like a temporary, like if, if you just say like, right now is not a, you know, whatever reason isn't a good time or, I you know, the other, like, 
that's one of the reasons that the pill is preferred to a lot of other forms because it's it, it's sort of more you can go off the pill and you, you know there you, there's no medical procedures that are required right it's sort of like an easier thing to go on and go off um and so it's sort of when you know I, I think the rabbis are often assuming it's temporary and then you know maybe you have a month or two of like getting to know one another and being intimate and then okay now we're ready like they're not assuming like years yeah yeah Demi I just had this other thought like what are the thoughts about things like a vasectomy after you've already had kids do you want me to take it (laughs) uh sure go for it okay so um any kind of sterilization is seen as I don't know if you would go as far as to say prohibited would you say prohibited Uh, I mean, again, everything to some extent is case by case. So I can imagine cases in which it would be allowed, but generally it's not allowed. Yeah. The least good option, right? Uh, Like sterilization of any kind is, is not, is not what you are going for. So with a vasectomy, something that cannot be reversed, you, if, if a person, it can be reversed. Oh, oh, you're all shaking your heads at me like I should know that. Okay, can be reversed. Great. Um, For everybody listening, it can be reversed. I was wrong. Um, But for something that is going, can't always, thank you very much. Um, For something that is going to make a permanent marking on sterilization, sure, maybe it can be reversed, but for the time that you are vasectomied, it's not a word, um, you you are not able to procreate. There is not going to be sperm, so you are not able to procreate. Then that is not seen as a good form of contraception, nor is it seen as a good form of, of, of really treating your body. Um, the same thing goes, by the way, with any kind of contraception that you would either put inside the woman that would that would kill the sperm. So not just stop the sperm, but actually destroy it is seen as the same kind of sterilization. Um, you, The idea around procreation is that the, the, the sperm needs to be able to enter the woman. So the way in which that is done is it needs to be that it, that there is no um, uh, destruction of, sounds like a very big word for what we're talking about, but there's no way that that is going to be destroyed by having mm-hmm. sex. So a vasectomy, which gets rid of sperm altogether, though I guess can be reversed sometimes, is not preferred. Though, if, it, if it's medically something that should be done, then... I believe, as Ray Pernick said in his earlier class, that it can be something that you look into as a medical preference for you and your partner. But Does generally, yeah. Right, yeah. generally the preferred contraceptive options are going to be things that allow the sperm to enter the woman's body and yet prevent fertilization. That's kind of the best yes. options. Yeah. Does that answer your question, Debbie? Okay. Any other questions? Candace. When a woman takes uh, the pill, isn't she killing her egg? No. I don't understand how the It pill just works. prevents it from ovulating? Is that? So I'm going to call on our MD because she's an MD and I'm not. And though I think I know how it works. Debbie, would you like to tell us how the pill actually works? 
Well, by, um, you know, changing the hormones in your system, it actually, it's, it, it doesn't prevent ovulation, but it prevents um, implantation. Um, and it just, it just, you know, just, you need to have certain hormones in order for the sperm and the egg to kind of meet and, and work. And so, you know, just, it just changes your hormones. That's it. So there are many, 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 many forms of contraception. And as Rai Parnik just alluded to, the the types of contraception that we would think of as best or um, most least problematic, most preferable, as I was going to say, least but, problematic, yeah. um, are are the ones that still allow. The, really the man is who we're speaking about most here, but the couple to have sex in a way that would be the most natural way of having sex. So the pill is a, is a halakhically perfect form of uh, contraception. I just want to say circumcision, contraception, um, <laughs> because, because, you know, might as well go down a rabbit hole, um, because you can still have penetrative sex and all of the parts still work the way that they're supposed to, except for that there's no fertilization. So a condom doesn't do that, for example. Um, neither does like a diaphragm or anything of that sort. Thoughts, questions? We've had it with this topic. Everyone's done. <laughs> and I think also, you know, there are sort of different aspects of this episode. And I think one of them... We were talking about the Thai food sort of jokingly, but I think there's also, right, there's sort of simultaneously these two interesting things going on where, and it's intentionally juxtaposed in the episode, I think, where, you know, Hodaya is going to the pharmacy to get birth control while Ifat is going to get a pregnancy test because she so wants to be pregnant, right? And so there's sort of this interesting thing, um, in addition to thinking about, okay, Hodaya and her situation, like, on the flip side, thinking about Ifat and like her angst not being pregnant. And I think for Amir, his angst after seeing his ex-wife now pregnant and noticeably pregnant um, and knowing that his wife is not. And right, like in some ways that could have been his child, right, in his, right in his mind. Um, so I think like it's also sort of, there's like the two sides, there's the one side of people who like, who don't want a child and are having sex but are, you know, but don't want a child. And then you also have the side of like the people who are pregnant and are not yet, sorry, people who are married, but not yet pregnant and like the desire to be pregnant. So you have sort of these two opposite things. And the pressure to be pregnant. I think right. that's also a really big piece of that culture of Jewish culture um, in general, that like, as soon as you get married, when are you having your kid, right? People always joke in Jewish circles, like you set the wedding date after people ask you a million times. And then the question that they have after the chuppah is great. When are you having your first kid? So there's, there's also that pressure. I think that Yifat is feeling that the casualness of, of Hodaya and her guy uh, that, you know, she's, she's trying, like, she's trying to actually have a child in a very formalized way, and it's not happening, at least as far as we know in this episode, um, and that's frustrating for her. I saw a hand. Yeah, Barbara? Okay. Um, the other thing about that whole incident with um, Amir running into Nama 
Yeah. And then he goes home and he cooks Thai food because she had been to Thailand and how great it was. But it's, but he never says to Yafat, well, you know, I ran into my ex-wife today and, you know, and it turns out she's pregnant and she got pregnant in Thailand. It's, it's weird. It's like he has these little secrets that he keeps from her. And he knows that that was bad in the beginning because all that time he never told her he was, he never told, he thought he was having sex with his ex-wife. So it's just a little, it's weird to me, not weird. I mean, I just, he's keeping that same pattern going of not being forthcoming. Yeah. I also think that there's probably, I've never been in this situation, so I'm just uh, positing this, that, you know, that maybe he also worries that there's something wrong with him, that he can't get Yifat pregnant, right? That that maybe there's Mm. something difficult about seeing someone who you were... Denise just wrote on an American soap yeah. now as child would be a mirrors. Um that that somehow, you know, he sees this woman pregnant that maybe he is going through his mind thinking, Well, we never got pregnant when we were together, maybe yeah. this really is me. Right. Yeah. And and I and maybe it is. Yeah. And maybe it is, right. I really, really like Amir, so I think that <laughs> that's why I'm taking this angle. But I do think it is a real angle. I mean, I don't think that he's trying to keep anything from her that is so meaningful to her. Um, there's also, you know, in terms of a woman's body, even in pregnancy when you're dealing with a partner, you know, the the element of him questioning and pushing and all of that, even when she's about to take the pregnancy test and he he's like why don't you just do it do it right now um that can feel off-putting also so maybe him telling her that while she's trying to get pregnant would also be difficult to hear but yeah it's yeah Yeah. rebecca yeah i was just thinking that another contrast that that they had in the show was when rayut is uh sitting in her office with a visit with her sister who is either pregnant or had the baby? I forget. No, she's pregnant, pregnant. Pregnant. So she's so she's pregnant, and you know, pregnant with the husband who Rayut had liked, and you know, and and they ended up going out, going through with the wedding. She didn't reveal her true feelings to her sister, but that somehow then for Rayut, the contrast of okay, her sister uh, is pregnant, and that's working out. Her baby sister. Her. Oh, that's true. That's right. Her younger. Yeah, I think that's right. So Rayut, then it prompts her to want to um, contact uh, Nadi's uh, brother, Roe. So um, it kind of motivates her. So there's also that contrast of a pregnant and non-pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. We've also made it half an hour without talking about Nadi and his uh, <laughs> his girlfriend. <laughs> or his, not his date, I guess. His, not, yeah, was, it was one date. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything you would like to share about that? It was a terrible outfit. <laughs> just for like for the first date, that was just I was like, you it know, was a crazy. terrible outfit. If anybody yeah. needs dating outfit <laughs> advice, please go to Rabbi Josh Parnick. I'm happy to give you his number. <laughs> for all those listening at home. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we see a lot of just like potential relationships, potential next steps in this episode. Right there's Nati kind of 
all of a sudden now he's going to say the nighttime Shema because he met one girl who said, I, I don't know if I can imagine you saying the nighttime Shema with my children. Like, come on, dude. Um, and then the other, the other character is kind of reflecting upon the people who are around them and their next steps. What comes next for Rayut? What comes next for Yifat and for Amir? What comes next for Hodaya? Right? She even, she really wants to know, like, now that I'm engaged in this relationship like I've never been before, I guess I need to know who else have you been with because I'm learning that that's a safety precaution that I didn't know that I have to take, right? There are just these next steps for everybody that they're taking. They all happen to be around sexuality in this particular episode, but um, they seem to be moving to the next step of whatever their next step is. And Nadi starts learning Talmud. It's great too. So, sort of, yeah. <laughs> they get like one line in and he's like, yeah, they got a line in. Yeah. They got, they got a line in at least. It sounds as if it might even been Bracho. Yeah, it was the it was it was it wasn't, Bracho. It wasn't the first, very beginning of Bracho, but yeah, it, it was, was in Bracho. Yeah, wasn't it? Was, it was in Bracho. Yes, but it it was interesting that the reason why the girl who Nati went out with broke up with him, she couldn't envision him saying the Shema at night with their kids, their future kids. And that was the, what he was studying was saying the Shema at night, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Maybe it was making a point that as Dati, as Nadi is, he's not Haredi. No, he's what we call Dati light, right? He's like, he's Dati, but like, it's true. Like, you never see him saying Shema. And, uh, like, it, like, she's right. She sort of gets the sense from him. Like, I don't. You don't seem like you, right? You seem like someone who wears a kippah, but is not actually religiously involved, right? Um, which is accurate, I would say. Other than the whole kashrut thing back in season one, where like suddenly he has like concerns with kashrut, like, but even that is not like being religious. It's making sure he's not doing anything totally wrong. But I think she's on to something when she she's able to detect that, like, well, yeah, the wrong match. None of them are Haredi. Right, like they're all they're all kind of around the the spectrum of what we in America would call modern Orthodox. Like whether they're more relaxed or a little bit more stringent. Like, but also like, I would say like Amir is Amir is like spiritually inclined in different in these ways. Um, yeah. Right, in ways that um, you know Nati is not. Just to comment on Barbara's point about Hodath throwing the paper away. Right, if people caught this there was a whole joke thing about the you know the guy saying oh i've it's easy to keep track of how many women i've slept with because i you know i go through the whole olive bet you know the only letter i haven't found is above right and then the woman who comes as the waitress is buried which starts at the above um in case people didn't catch that that's why that's why hodaya throws away the napkin is because even though it was a joke this is a right like this is you know it's it's like a sign <laughs> the woman with the bob name comes and it's like no, 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 she's not working and she was worried maybe it wasn't really a joke right like maybe, but, yeah maybe there's some truth to that little lie and there's not a lot of names that start with bob also Jared is like like when that yeah when that when he said that i was like what starts with bob i was like i guess very vashti right <laughs> very common name you know? yeah they live in jerusalem <clears throat> Anything that anybody else picked up on from this episode? Yeah. Yes. So I noticed that um, Hodaya and uh, the guy were painting a wall. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, are they living together or like, what was that about? 
um, I will let Rob Karnick answer this question because I've seen the rest of the series. So I'll let uh, him answer so that nothing gets I don't think it's clear in this episode why they're painting a wall. I haven't seen beyond this episode, so I don't, I don't know. I, so, but um, it, it doesn't seem like it's clear what they're painting or why they're painting. It's sort of like a conversation that they have while they're doing something. Now, apparently that wall is going to have meaning at some point later on, but um, it's not here. It's just sort of uh, suddenly transitions to a scene with them painting and we have no idea where. It's. Well said. Yeah. Glad I could contribute. Yeah, Jeff. I, I just wanted to get back to the uh, contraceptive stuff. I find it interesting in light of today's uh, modern world controversies about birth control in general or uh, abortions, but that it's, it's not, you cannot, it's not good. Um, you can't use barrier protection here because you can't stop the sperm from entering the woman's body, nor can you stop the sperm essentially from meeting up with an ovulated egg in the oviduct. But you can stop once the egg is fertilized, you have a zygote and it implants in the uterus. That you can stop, I guess, with an IUD. And that's okay. Right? Is that, is that, so, is it, or is it, or is it not okay for an I to use the IUD? So, no, so an IUD is okay. Let me, let me back up. I am not an OBGYN, so I do not know all of the science answers to all of your questions. I will answer the question that I do know, which is halakhically, can you have an IUD? And then if there's a doctor who wants to answer the other questions, happy to have you do that. Um, an IUD is an okay form of contraception according to halakha. The reason that it is not, if we are going to have a hierarchy of birth control that is... Um, best used, the reason that it's not at the top, like the birth control pill is, is because it is potentially something, depending on the body, that could result in spotting or could result in a woman having a heavier period, which would result in her being in need either longer or more uncomfortably. And a woman, again, if there's a doctor on here and you want to um, tell me that I'm wrong, please go ahead. But a woman doesn't usually know if that's going to be her reaction until she has an IUD put into her body. So an IUD is fine. And if you're a person who is having an fine IUD... Fine relatively. You know, fine relatively. <laughs> this is why we teach this class together. Um, <laughs> that there, if you want to have an IUD inserted and you are not currently sexually active or married and therefore not following the laws of NIDA, then it might be totally fine to have an IUD. However, once you are married and following those laws, it just might become problematic or at the at the like lowest level annoying to have to deal with the laws of NIDA on an IUD. And also an IUD requires medical intervention in order to remove it, correct? Yeah, true. So yeah. That's, so I think that plays a role also, as opposed to birth control, that you can just go off the pill on your own, right? And it's sort of, we talked about this a little bit earlier, right? Every, you know, continuing to take the pill is a constant, is a, cho a constant choice. And, you know, it's not like one day you take it, right? It's a whole cycle and so forth, but you can choose to go off the pill and you can go off the pill, as opposed to an IUD that you actually need a medical intervention to remove it. Um, and so that does make it sort of less ideal because it's less simple to stop it, that medical inter you know it's let right it's more complicated more to invasive. switch it's it's more invasive and it right it, it requires an active 
it requires an action to be able to have a child as opposed to the pill, which requires action in order to continue being unable to have the child, right? You have to keep taking the pill in order to not have the child. Ah. So, right. So there's a difference there. Yeah. Debbie, is there anything you would want to add medically to Jeff's question? Well, I would just wonder, you know, it used to be years ago with the IUD, there was a higher incidence of pelvic inflammatory disease, which can cause infertility, which I would think would make the um, IUD a little less, another reason to make it a little less exciting. I think the newer ones are much better, but. But I mean, I remember, you know, I think I've spoken, I know I've spoken before about um, the other rabbi of mine who was like a Belzer Hassan and a Belzer Dayan. He's a Dayan, you know, a a judge there, or like a, you know, sort of high level rabbinic figure. And he was talking about how in the Belzer community, so many women have IUDs. Like it's very, very common. Well, so what I read, and then Robert, we can get to you in a second. What I read about the IUD that, that is very popular, prevalent in the really Haredi communities is that your husband doesn't necessarily know. Yes, correct. And a pill is something that, unless you're like very good at keeping things from the person who sleeps next to you, you know, most likely like they're going to know that you're taking a pill. An IUD is something that you could go to a doctor, have inserted, and for five to 10 years, not get pregnant and your husband wouldn't know. And so depending on the type of relationship you're in, depending on the sect of Judaism that you are in and the rabbi that you're speaking to, that is sometimes the form of contraception that will be suggested to you because it is one that is just between you and your doctor as opposed to between you and your husband and your doctor. But isn't that lying? You're lying to your husband? Yeah. I think going back to that, you know, that rabbi, I think, I think in many of those cases, the husbands don't know that they're, that their women, sorry, that their wives have IUDs. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's actually, um, like uncomfortably common that the husbands don't know. I and mean, these are often families where the, they already have eight or nine kids and the, the, you know, the wife, mother doesn't want to have any more but doesn't want to tell the husband, right? He's already fulfilled his obligation of Peru. She doesn't want to tell him that, you know, I'm preventing us from having more. She just, you know, and she put in. It's also possible that she's at it. I mean, she's 37 and have nine kids, right? Like it's mm-hmm. also possible that she's still in a very long fertile window where she would have to be on the pill for a long time. And yet, if you're on, if you have the IUD, it could be something that you just have inserted once that takes you kind of through to the end of when you would be, um, when you would be having children. The one thing I will say to that lying piece is that sometimes it's important to know that there are ways around things that will, sure, in like definitionally be lying but also might keep you safe, might keep you in a marriage that you really should be getting out of, but you don't know how. And so this is the best way for you to prevent at least procreating. I mean, we're, ta- we're talking terrible situations in, in the story I'm sharing, not necessarily the story that Rabbi Pernick is sharing, um, but the ways in which women might be looking for that as a reprieve is just... Uh, often not a good situation to begin with and they're just looking for something. So that little lie seems to, seems to be okay. And I would add also, I think in some of these cases, like 
the husband doesn't ask. And it's sort of like a, you know, he, he knows, but he, right. He's not going to ask, are you getting an IUD? It's sort of like a tacit agreement. Or know what that is. Or know what that is. But right, like, he's not going to ask. And it's like, oh, look, she hasn't gotten pregnant. And it's just, ha- we already have 10 kids and we're starting to pay the bills. Like, right. So I think that, I think that's common, right. Less that he's asking, are you on some kind of birth control? And more like he's intentionally not asking and she's not telling him, but in that way he doesn't feel like he's sinning. Right. Okay. So there, there are a lot of questions here. I just want to say one more thing about IUDs and then Robert, and then we can go to these questions. The other thing about an IUD is that it still gives you a period. And so a woman in the world of keeping Hilchot Nida would not have to pretend that she, you know, she's not getting her period and so not going to the mikvah. She still would be on a cycle of that kind that the husband and the family really would be used to. And so again, it's it's like you don't have to ask as many questions because everything seems to be working as normal. It's just that, you know, for some reason, you're not able to conceive your 10th child or whatever it is. Let's go to these note, the questions in the chat, Rabbi Pernick, just because of the yep. time. Yep. Um, to Rebecca and Leon's question, since that's the first yeah. time I've seen um, Yeah, we were talking about that earlier, right? Isn't a man supposed to divorce his wife if she doesn't get pregnant in 10 years? Right. Like, According to Halakha, yeah. Um, like, do I know any couple that was like in love and they're like, well, I guess we got to get divorced now because we haven't had a child in 10 years. Like, practically, no, I don't. Especially in our modern days where there are, you know, people get, you know, people try so many different things or they adopt or or so forth. You know, I think back, you know, in Talmudic times and even later, right, having children, having many children was seen as a security and so there was like right it's certainly in the in the torah also like you know you have you, you know you get married so as to have children so as to be able to sort of pass on a legacy and pass on property and all you know have heirs and, and so forth so there was a sense of like staying married to someone who um you know who can't have children is problematic and you know so you, you do see that in rabbinic sources that you know a man can't marry a woman who he knows is unable to give birth to children and so forth like practically i i'm i'm sure there are i'm sure there are people who you know will say oh well, if i know this person can't have children then i'm not going to marry them but it does, i don't feel like that comes up in real life so often but maybe it does more like people who don't want to have a child so that comes up but people say oh i'm you know, I'm physically unable to give birth, but I'm up, you know, if you want to have children, I'm, I want, you know, I want to figure out whether through adoption or through whatever, you know, surrogacy or something. Um, again, I'm not aware of situation. Um, I'm sure it happens though. Okay. Next question from the mailbox. I didn't see it. I, I responded to Brooke. She was correct in her comment. I just made yeah. clear what I was pointing at. Um, any other thoughts, comments, counter sermons? You've never heard me use that. Ju- I use that joke all the time. Um, anything? No. Okay. Do you want I opened? Would you like to close? Oh, Rebecca or Leonard? Was it different? Well, I just thought maybe perhaps you can discuss the uh, giving of the food anonymously. And <laughs> and and was that was that actually done through an organization, or did she just make up the entire thing? No, she made that up. Completely made that up. Yeah. Though she said, she sort of like, when he said like, oh, what organization? She was like, uh, you know, she said, 
what did she say? Like Chesed Elisheva or something? Like she like made up something. Yeah. Um, but the guy was like, oh, okay, here, you know. Um, yeah, no, that was like to try to save face. She just started ringing on doorbells and putting food outside and pretend. I mean, I think that is a thing of anonymous donations. Like of, you know, people. Specific places and not random homes. Yeah, correct. Like I think that is a, a thing of like people who you don't want to embarrass them and so forth. So like ring on their doorbell, leave food for like people who are actually in need and like don't want the embarrassment and so forth. So I, she's pretending that's what she's doing, but she was actually just ringing on random doorbells. It is an interesting comparison though to what Nati is doing, right? She's, Rayut is doing something that, what's his name? Yochai, is that his name? Rowie, thank you. Rui. I, I'm really terrible with names if you haven't already figured this out. Um, I should have like a list of them next to me so I don't have to ask every time. That that she's trying to do something that he is clearly compelled by, that he will like her for. She is trying to appease to what makes him attracted to her. And so she was like, I, well, I guess I have to be volunteering somewhere because I said that I do, and now he likes that, so I'm going to continue doing it. It's similar to Nati, right, who all of a sudden he's going out on a date with this girl who loves Talmud, and so all of a sudden he wants to learn Talmud until he realizes he doesn't want to learn Talmud, and he stops, right? Like, you can only put on that mask, so to speak, for so long. Like, you like the things you like, and, and you go along, and if people like you for what you like, then, you know. That's wonderful. Okay, Denise, last comment, and then we'll close. Oh, I just wanted to say also, it seemed like Roe liked Reut in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, so I don't know. I'm kind of rooting for them because they seem to actually have a good connection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. She's, yeah, she's trying to impress him and all of that. But yeah, no, it's, it's, so far that seems, it does seem uh, good. Yeah, Karen. Okay, so, Karen. I don't know. <laughs> unmute yourself. Uh, here, I'll ask you to unmute and see if that helps. I think she ran into him or knew. Remember, she called and said, "Where are you going to call and see if so and so is at the thing?" Yeah. And where is she? Where is he? If not, and so she ran into him, and then she had to say why. Right. So then she says, "Oh, I volunteer." Yeah, she made up something on the spot because of her sister, right, who was volunteering. But so she also ran that, that came to her. It came to her because her. of her sister. Yeah. Right? So it's not like she wanted him to like her because of the, she likes him, he kind of likes her, and he shows up with, quote, a girlfriend. Right. So she needed he an excuse. Had something. Was, right. That's all. It's my two cents. Right. I, yeah. I think that she made sure that she would run into him. Um, I agree. I agree, but she thought alone. Not I love that idea of like calling your personal assistant and being like, call this, call and look for this guy and then hang up if he's there. Like, yeah. Kara well, knows that my assistant would get a real kick out of that. So oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try it one day. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, right, Parnik, why don't you close and then I have an announcement at the end. Okay. Um, well, I see Cherise put in the chat the session with her husband, Mark, next Thursday. Goes up against my Midrash class, so that's, you know, we have a little bit of a conflict there, but it's okay. Um, yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot, you know, well, I think one of the interesting things about the way Srugim is sort of structured is how often in an episode you'll sort of see the same kind, the same basic topic approached from, like, 
all of the characters in their own ways and how I forget, I mean, often the title of the episode touches on it. I don't remember the title of the episode, but um, exploring just kind of sexuality with new partners, as it were, um, and sort of the different ways that that goes with Yifat, who is sort of newly married versus Hodaya, who's, you know, newly sexually active and um, doesn't really apply to the others so much, I guess. But um, yeah, I think it's just sort of an interesting way to sort of explore these different characters and the ways that their lives are are um, kind of taking shape more and more from where we started with them all sort of being somewhat in the same place but coming from different places and now um, more and more like veering off into their own territory. And then of course like kind of veering back like Nati, you know, veering back toward saying Shema. So for one night. What? Oh, you have an announcement. For one night. Yeah. Maybe this is maybe that the next night. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.